VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Tuesday, September the 13th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly. David Williams, he's back in the producer's chair today. So you'll be speaking with David when you give us a shout to get in the queue. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial is 273-5211 or elsewhere, toll-free long distance 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 86. 26. So as I look out through the window towards Kenmount Terrace and I see the drizzle and the fog, and even though it's not really cold, how quickly all of a sudden do I yearn and long for those stifling hot days that I was quietly complaining about just a few weeks ago. But here we go. Let's start with a little bit of good news. So if you're a woman in and around my age, maybe minor hockey was just not available to you. It was pretty much male-dominated. There was very little opportunity for girls to play minor hockey. So now this organization called Tomcats Recreational Hockey League, this is a great program. So what they're intending to do, based on the, f it's free for starters, you get six on-ice training sessions, wearing hockey gear, learn some of the basics, and it's all women. Female coaching staff do away with all the intimidation. You don't need any uh, skating or hockey background to go out and give it a shot. So I'm positive there are tons of women that would have loved to have a little crack at playing some hockey. You know, it's the social aspect as well. I'm sure most of my rec hockey buddies still play not only for the love of the game, but to see the lads and to have a laugh and all the hijinks that goes with it in the dress room and on the ice. But the, the Tomcats, they're taking out the intimidation factor. I think we've spoken to one of the representatives. Maybe it was Dina Kavanaugh. She's one of the coaches and one of the mentors involved with the Tomcats. So if you're a woman... And you think that, you know, I've got all these guys around me, who whether it be the minor hockey playing sons or my husband or partner or brother or father, and they're all enjoying hockey and you seem to think that, well, there's nothing out there for me? Wrong. You can play Tomcats Rec Hockey. They even have gear share. So you don't have to take all the big upfront costs and expense of equipping yourself from head to toe. That can, head to toe. That could be fairly costly. So maybe just maybe. Let's see if we get Dean Cavanaugh one of these days soon, Dave. See if we can fill in the blanks about how the Tomcats Recreational Hockey League is going and how to maybe interest even more women, if they're so inclined, to get out and play a little hockey. All right, so as you heard from Brian Madore, the nasty weather continues today. It doesn't seem to be too blustery at the moment, but more rain coming. I was caught off guard. I had no idea that the weekend weather and into yesterday and following today was as going to be as bad as it was. Now, it seems to be still summer on the West Coast. Excellent news. But around here, it's been pretty miserable and pretty nasty. So some parts of like Paradise, apparently, over 200 millimeters of rain since Saturday afternoon. That's a lot. If you've seen the pictures on social media of some of the damage and the devastation, I would suggest, in places maybe like Kilbride. Have you seen the roads that got torn apart in Kilbride? I don't know if it's all direct or influenced by the storm. But the flooding in basements, the flooding of streets, people being rescued from their homes, all very, very real. People will ask, and a fellow called the show yesterday, asking about financial assistance from the government. So basically, at the provincial government level, and in conjunction with the federal government, there has to be a determination of whether or not one weather event or another falls under the criteria to trigger the disaster of financial assistance. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. I know that leaves a lot of people in a lurch, but it does beg some pretty serious questions. Not because I think so, but because the recent history of weather events has been quite clear. 
the frequency and severity of the storms is unlike anything I've ever experienced, and we can talk about the impacts of climate change or what have you. But I know the people that really understand just how more frequent and severe the storms have been, and the cost to repair damages left behind in these storms are the insurance companies. So how do we prepare adequately for what looks to be more opportunities for these type of weather events? Now, subdivisions that have already been built, that's done. But, you know, we have to be really mindful. And again, I look across the Kenmau Terrace. The way all the land was cleared and the trees were felled for homes really does impact down the hill how the water runs. Because no matter what we do to divert water, it's the most unstoppable force on the planet. It will get wherever it wants to go. So that begs some pretty serious questions. You know, how we build, how we develop, how we clear land, where we build. These are big questions that I'm not so sure we've done a great job of in the recent past. You know, the folks out in Kilbride talking about the homes being built alongside what is basically a river, underground and otherwise, it's just quite clear that we're in a tough spot. Even for communities, Trapassi for one, ha that have seen the breakwater destroyed. You know, it got beat up back in 2017. It hasn't been fully repaired. And then now, this. So I don't know if it's an opportunity to think outside the box with reinforcing the breakwaters or building them in a different spot to accommodate rising sea levels and the types of storm surges we're seeing. Now, of course, that's all impacted by the geographical footprint. You can't move the roads, move the homes just to accommodate a new spot for a breakwater. But these are the types of things that we've really got to pay more attention to. You know, when Igor struck and the devastation was obvious, we did simple things like look at the size of the culverts to alleviate some of the flooding. All of that makes sense. So even in our own homes, when we go to repair, if you've unfortunately suffered any damage, flooding in this case, for so many people on the Avalon Peninsula, is how, what do we do about it? You know, are there people out there in the construction world that if, for instance, you live in a place that's prone to flooding, what can we do? In the Baird subdivision, for instance, what can we do? You know, some of the things that have led to the amount of water rushing through that neighborhood maybe is absolutely directly involved with how we've cleared for a big subdivision right across the street from where I work. I don't know. But it's something I think we're going to have to think about and talk about. And then I know Richard Duggan from VOCM News yesterday went down to the health sciences complex to see, because, I mean, the pictures of flooding in and around Clinch Crescent were unbelievable. So what impact did this rush of water have on the new mental health facility, which the government was determined to build it on what is a well-understood floodplain? I don't know if and when any water got into that facility. They say it didn't, but the water was sure there, and they can create all the berms they want. Look, engineers can handle all kinds of these things, but again, diverting water only keeps it from going into that building potentially. Doesn't stop it from going anywhere else, so we're just shifting it around. So we'll see what the impact might have been on that mental health facility. And there's still large questions as to why. I know proximity to the hospital, having all of the health care offering there in the one complex, and to try to alleviate the stigma of mental health is different than physical health, when in fact it's all just about our overall health. But anyway, that one is really quite something. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like I kind of jinxed this. You know, the so-called quiet hurricane season up until the end of August for the first time in, since somewhere in the 1960s where there wasn't a named storm. Now the possibility for a very active end of season throughout this month seems like it might be upon us. Here's a question I saw posed on social media. Is, you know, thankfully, I haven't heard of anyone being hurt through this particular weather event. And who knows what other types of potential catastrophes could be out there lurking. 
when we hear and read stories about the pressures on the healthcare system, notably in the emergency rooms, like remember, just this past weekend, Eastern Health said, please do not show up at the Health Sciences or St. Clair's Mercy for anything that is not an absolute emergency. The Registered Nurses Union goes on to tell us that every day there's some 20 patients admitted with no bed for them. You know, they're in storage closets, in hallways, on gurneys, wherever they can poke them. It's really a sad state of affairs when you think about it in those terms. But what happens if and when there are a bunch of people hurt because of whether it be something industrial, come by chance, whether it be something in the commercial realm, whether it be influenced by weather, then what? So as much as we try to deal with the day-to-day pressures on the system, and I think more importantly, the day-to-day pressures on the people working in the system, these things just kind of loom out there. Um, Anyway, you want to take it on from any angle? You know the deal. And also what we did see, and this happens every time that there's any type of storm in the forecast, is went over to the uh, grocery store close by my home just looking for a pack of chicken breasts. None. That was Friday evening. None. They didn't have any. Out. People coming in and thinking that, you know, I might have to stock up, which is, I think, a pretty natural reaction. But again, not everybody has the wherewithal to be able to stock up, you know, whether it be in between paychecks and what have you. But the hoarding and the panic buying happened. Now, maybe people are wise to prepare the way they do. But I think we should hopefully be mindful of the fact that others coming behind you because we didn't uh, thankfully we haven't been cut off from the mainland and the supplies haven't dried up even though we have a food security issue but on that front maybe we'll see if we can speak with uh, Josh Me, one of my favorite guests because he's so in tune with the issues of the day especially when we talk about food security insecurity and access to so they've got a new program that they're launching with a variety of retailers called great things in store I can't necessarily spell out the facts of how this is going to work, but what they're going to try to do is ensure that people are given access to good options to feed their family and themselves. In addition to that, there's another great program. It's a partnership between uh, Big Feed Club and DRL Coach Lines. They're going to be shuttling Costco goods in particular to rural areas of the province. So while we all worry about access to food, and even if and when it used to be one of your routines for the monthly trip, say for instance, into town, in this case into Galway, to go to the Costco's of the world. A lot of people do it. But now you factor in the price of fuel, it might not be the routine for your Sunday drive. It might not be as attractive as it was once, be, once was, because it's just so costly to get anywhere to do anything. So that's another great program. So Big Feed Club and DRL Coach Lines, they're going to be delivering. Now, they're focusing pretty much on fresh food, household staples, but there's some 1,300 items or 1,500 items in the Costco inventory that they're going to have an opportunity to deliver directly to you. Now, it comes with a fee, but no way the fee's going to be uh, more than what it costs to do it yourself. So just some programs we can talk about to get food to you, because not everyone lives close by these big box stores. Anyway, speaking of the price of fuel, so we've been told that the minister responsible, Sarah Studley, is going to compel the Public Utilities Board to spell out exactly, give us a better understanding of how they arrive at the price adjustments for all the various fuels. So they've released some information, and I have to say, I'm no more in tune or in the loop or understanding the approach that the PUB takes than before I read this explanation. So they're talking about not only the Petroleum Products Act, but looking at the Platts U.S. Market Scan daily report used for the average benchmark price. Okay. They go on to say 
that our process here is very much like other places in Atlantic Canada. But I think if we look around, and you use one of these helpful uh, websites like GasBuddy, right? GasBuddy.com. We either lag behind or have a completely different approach to pricing than other places. Now, some of it boils down to regulated versus unregulated, and I think that's an interesting debate that we can have here. But how are we so far out of step? Was it two weeks ago that uh, Dan McTeague, for instance, he said there was going to be a decrease of some seven or eight cents? And when push came to shove, the next day there was a one cent increase here, but then 24 hours later was that exact decrease that was forecasted by many places in the country and became the reality at the pump. So it's fine for the PUB to explain it in this form, but that's way over my head. I don't really know what it means. What I think would be helpful is to explain clearly why we have such a different approach and different pricing. Yes, we are, live on an island, well, if you live on the island of Newfoundland. Yes, there's some additional costs associated with importation and distribution. But to be so far out of step, like, I don't get it. I read the news story. You can have a read for yourself. And if you can explain it to me, I'd be forever in your debt because I don't get it. All right. On that front, still anxiously awaiting... What's going to happen with the negotiations between the province, the bilateral negotiations regarding the new carbon tax? We can talk about the merits of a carbon tax if you're so inclined, but, you know, if we see home heating fuels not exempt from the carbon tax, we've got a different, another additional layer of pressure on the consumer. On that front, so many people have been anxiously awaiting the provincial government to open up the application process for access to the home heat rebate. And now it's out there. So it's for families and homes that earn $150,000 or less in 2021. You had to have filed your taxes with Canada Revenue to be uh, eligible for this particular program. So here it is. Eligible households will receive a maximum supplement of $500, where the adjusted family income for 2021 is $100,000 or less. A partial supplement is available to the households with adjusted family income for 2021 of more than $100,000, but less than or equal to $150,000. The minimum supplement will be 200 bucks. There was some questions about, for instance, if you have adult children and they work, there's no mention of how that factors into the net family income. It only talks about the adult and their partner or their spouse. So I guess that's that. So, for instance, I'm not eligible, but if I was, my, fa my children wouldn't count with their... They don't earn huge money. But when we're talking about thresholds like 100 and 150, it's, it's part of the conversation. So households where heat is included in rent, as well as fully subsidized Newfoundland Labrador housing units, are not eligible for the supplement unless invoices to verify the minimum purchase of furnace or stove oil can be provided and that minimum purchase is 250 liters so it's now open there's a bunch of other exemptions where people do not qualify and if anybody calls and needs to know more information about the exemptions because it's a pretty long list we're happy to do it of course, it goes on to say that only one person per household can apply for the supplement. The deadline for submitting applications is November the 30th, so you've got to get organized and get at it. Most, they say most applications should be processed within 10 days from the date they received. Then they talk about if indeed you have a direct deposit arrangement for your GST credit or what have you through the Canada Revenue Agency, you can indeed have a direct deposit into your bank account if you have all of that set up. Otherwise, you're going to get the payment by check. But thankfully, that home heat rebate program is there for those who are eligible for it so that's the update on that front that's good news for the, for you folks okay 
I know I might be alone or in the minority thinking about things like the Green Report and all the recommendations therein and the, pro the Premier's economic recovery team and or the Rothschild Report, which I think is the big one. You know, paid millions of dollars for an evaluation of government-held assets, what the future might look like for them, big ones like the Newfoundland Labrador Liquor Corporation. I think about it all the time. Maybe I'm just cracked and spend too much time in this bubble of public policy and what have you. But when will we see government show their hand? Inevitably, even though the province's Information and Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey agreed with the government in not disclosing or publicly releasing the report, at some point we're going to know you know, if indeed they go to the market for considering interest to take over motor vehicle or for Bull Arm or Marble Mountain or the NLC, whatever the case may be, we will then probably assume it was recommended by Rothschild. But I think about that all the time. All right. You know, sadly, in looking at some emails, one email thread with one family in particular, looks like their child's bully has picked up exactly where they left off. And, you know, I guess with my wife in the education system and hearing so many stories sitting in this chair, it becomes so difficult to navigate. Number one, bullying has become a catch-all that really doesn't describe what some children are facing when they go to school or even in the workplace. You know, your mother dresses you funny and some taunts in the playground are one thing, but it goes all the way to physical violence and some serious emotional and mental torment that some children are on the receiving end of. The focus has so long been on the person who is the quote-unquote victim and what we do to help them or support them or to shield them. And we should, and we have to. But what do we do with the instigator? Some of it comes with the fact that, you know, okay, let me restart that thought. You know, coping mechanisms are absolutely part of it. There's no doubt about it. But at some point, even the best adjusted coping mechanism rich child, it might not be enough. And then people will say, well, you know, fight back. It's really easier said than done. So many people who are on the receiving end, they just don't have it in them to curl a fist or to push back in whatever form or fashion people are talking about. So we say that as if it's so simple. I know from my own personal experience that I hear see many people I know and some friends Talk about pushing back and fighting back, and this is what I would do. When in fact I know deep down inside they don't have the gumption or the courage, because very few people do, if we're being honest. So the whole concept of just push back is not really that helpful. What is helpful in the pushback world is that the bullies and the other nuisances in the school, those willing to hurt or harm your child, they're the distinct minority. You know, there's a great story came out of the United States where this, I think the kid was a high school football star, quarterback, captain of the team. He organized the pushback. They took back their schools. Before long, when the strength in numbers, which always rules the day, is what the bullies see and hear when they go to school or on their bus, then all of a sudden, their bravado shrinks. Their want to hurt goes away because they know now that all of a sudden, what were the bystanders are now the majority, and they're not going to get away with it. But I hate hearing those stories. Please send them along, and if I can be of any help or assistance at all, you know I will. But here we go again. Second week of school, I got, got this poor family reaching out, and they're really upset about it. And speaking of that, like these warnings of random attacks on St. John's, home invasions, you know, again, the concept is to fight back. These guys 
potentially are pretty dangerous. I heard uh, Constable James Cadigan on with Ben Murphy on the VOC Morning Show. So there was two examples that they're calling them random, and people sent to hospital, and some of them with serious injuries. Apparently, the first home that they invaded, they made away with the homeowner's vehicle, a great 2012 Honda Civic, license plate, license plate number JPB113. Don't approach them. They're obviously out of hand and out of control, and hopefully the police can get them organized here right away. Uh, very quick, see Perry Trimper back in the Liberal caucus. Of course, we all understand and remember the phone message that was left between Mr. Trimper and his office in Inu Nation, referred to as very racist, and then some time later, the rift between him and then Premier Dwight Ball saw Mr. Trimper leave the caucus, run as an independent. Former Speaker held two different cabinet portfolios, now back in the Liberal caucus. If you want to talk about that, let's go. Also, last one, promise. There's some thought and talk out there about the possibility for September 19th, which is the day that Queen Elizabeth II will be laid to rest, her funeral at Westminster Abbey, some talk of it being a national holiday. Uh, you know, it comes with significant costs. Now, some people might think it's a great idea, but for business owners, terrible idea. I mean, there's an economist, uh, the chief economist at the Bank of Montreal says it could cost between $2 billion and $4 billion. He now he says that's only an estimate. But if we're going to commemorate, and that day may be important to millions of Canadians, they'll leave it up to you. But if we want to commemorate it versus have a statutory holiday, maybe, just maybe, everyone who is so inclined, let's take September 19th to make a donation to a local charity, a food bank, for instance. I don't think the national holiday makes a whole, whole lot of sense, but anyway, that's maybe just me. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline.vocm.com. When we come back, we're speaking with you on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away. Well, welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number four. Good morning, Harvey. You're on the air. Good morning, Penny. How are you this morning, buddy? Great today. Thanks. How about you? Oh, number first. You've been in this for too good, my friend. <laughs> Very good. Glad okay. to hear it. Uh, I was wondering now, like, they just uh, big day just coming out now. This for people that's just burning oil, or that is that include electricity too? No, it just it's for oil. That's why I made mention that they had to make the minimum purchase and show the invoice to qualify. Uh, so, 250 uh, liters you have to order to get in line for this rebate. But oh. yes, it's only for folks who. Uh, Directly incurred costs and the purchase of furnace or stove oil to heat their home. Okay, I figure now that electricity was included, but no. Nope, not in this one, no, sir. No, no, right on, my friend. What made this key seen? Is it going to be double or is it rumors? Well, no, that was, that's been the plan. I think that announcement was uh, derailed by the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, but I'll be shocked if they don't follow through because we all know that the Liberal government here is quote-unquote propped up by the NDP, and these were some of the things that the NDP needed to see delivered for to have, their, the, have them support the Liberals. So the GST increase, which will be for some six months, and the dental care program that has been a big part of the NDP platform for a long time. So they haven't made the formal announcement yet, but I can't imagine it's not going to come. Well, if you don't, well, then, hey, goodbye, Liberal government. He sees it again. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see. What, I tell you what, this campaign is already in full force, and I don't think there was, we're, we're going to see an election for the next two, three years, maybe, but I they're see. going at it uh, tooth and nail already. Oh, boy, how are you going on, Petty boy? Is that... Well, uh, thank you, my friend, for your time, and you have a good day. You too. Thanks for the call, Harvey. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye-bye. Uh, where'd you say you want me to go, Dave? I couldn't hear you there that time. Okay, let's re keep rolling here. Let's go to line number six. Good morning, Ross. You're on the air. Yes, hi, Patty. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, thanks. How about you? Hi. Good. Um, you, you're preamble this morning talking about the rivers overflowing and so on. 
you are right. I mean, water just gets diverted and got to still go somewhere. Um, but we spoke before, and I sent you some pictures uh, showing how some rivers are just so filled with uh, with fill from previous floods, as well as um, vegetation have grown in so much that it's taking up the area of volume where water would be, only for now it's filled with grass and trees and sod and, and rock. Is this the Virginia River and the implications for the Baird subdivision? Uh, well, does, yeah, I spoke to you about those two areas before, and um, I mean, when you stand on the bridge uh, at the Health Science Center and look either direction, you can see that on a, on a time when there's not much rain, the river's only about two feet wide, and the rest of it, you can you can literally jump the river from grass bank to grass bank because there's so much vegetation. And I mean, they just spent you know a million dollars or more building a retaining wall uh, to stop the water when it overflows. Uh, sorry, when the river gets high to overflow into a parking lot. When I mean, they probably could have you know created a much deeper river and a wider river back to what it was decades ago. Um, but they just need to keep dredging you know dredging the rivers because I mean fill uh, vegetation will grow fill will fill in from that comes down from the crushed stone on the sides of the roads that get washed into the rivers and get forced of the river get pushed further downstream. Uh, as we're speaking, your email just floated into my email yeah. box, uh, Ross. So, yeah, the picture you th- uh, have shown me here is quite stark, you know, the before yeah. and after. Yeah, I'm and going that's, to su- that's on Pippi Place. That's, uh, that's on Pippi Place there next to, um, I forget the name of the company now, but uh, I drove past yesterday, and they had uh, sub pumps on the parking lot pumping water back over that retaining wall because the parking lot was uh, up to their knees in water and some cars were submerged. Um, but if you look at all the vegetation that's in that parking lot. Yeah, just sorry, let me, give a, let me uh, create a visual for the listeners who don't have the picture in front of them. So I'm going to guess, and it's kind of hard to tell from the photo, but I'm going to guess from retaining wall to retaining wall, so the width of the river, we'll call it, is I'm going to say eight feet. There's one little stream path at the bottom end of your picture, which is about 12 inches wide. Okay, well just to give you to put in perspective, the width between the two retaining walls is about 20 feet. Okay, 20 feet. Like I said, it's kind of hard to tell, but okay, so let's say it's 20 feet. Uh, Half of it is taken up with rocks and vegetation and the like, and it does get whittled down to a little culvert about 12 inches wide at the bottom of this picture that I'm looking at. So you're 100% right. If you want that water to not be in the parking lot, but to be between the retaining walls in the river, dredge out what is influencing the water to end up in a sump pump. You're 100% right, Ross. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be allowed to take a dump truck load of fill and dump it into a river. But but indirectly, that's what's happening. They, you know, there's sides, side roads and sidewalks, especially areas that don't have um, sidewalks. They, you know, Thorburn Road, for example, it's all crushed stone. I mean, you take between Goldstone Street and Vatras Garage. They're constantly putting in new fill to fill in the holes that get uh, the, the holes that get um, caused by the water running downstream because there's no curb to direct the water. So all the crushed stone gets washed out into the ditch and the high amounts of rain that we just had pushes that crushed stone through a culvert into the river and then the river keeps pushing that downstream. And at some point it will build up like you see in this picture. You see a lot of you know rock that's you know three inch diameter and, and crushed stone type. And if you look at the if you look at one of the pictures and look at the black culvert on the right hand side in the retaining wall, 
that's about a foot of culvert that's got nothing but crushed stone in it. Yeah, now I will freely admit that I'm not sure what influenced the water to be, be in the parking lot, where it came from, whether it came down Pippi Place itself or had anything to do with the lack of dredging and using the maximum uh, capacity of that particular river, but it's quite clear. And the second picture that I just opened is with the water rising, but of course, that includes rising over all of the old grout that's in it, whether it be vegetation or otherwise. So, fair ball. I'm glad you sent the pictures along. Yeah, and I, I did send this to some of the, um, to the city, and the response is, well, you can't, uh, we're, we're not allowed to touch the rivers because of spawning and stuff like that. But what we need to look at here, how are fish spawning in grass? I mean, if you want them to spawn, you need to clear out the grass and, and the field and, and give them some space to spawn. And, I mean, now we're looking at millions of dollars over time of damage to roads and parking lots and homes um, because we're sparing, you know, uh, the, everyone's afraid to dredge a river because there might be some controversy about it. And that's what seems to be the, the stopping point here is people are afraid to put a, you know, an excavator in a river to make the river wide and deep again. And plus, it doesn't have to be uh, done during spawning season. You know, we can pick our spots, right? Yeah. To do what seems to be very practical suggestions. Uh, I appreciate you making time for the show and the pictures this morning, Ross. Thanks okay, a lot. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Take, bye-bye. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about John Risley. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Uh, welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Tom. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Morning to you. I wanted to uh, throw out a bouquet to you for publicly acknowledging your determination to be healthier. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. I'm trying, man. And I think I'm making a few forward strides, so that's the good news. Well, you know, as you know, I've been calling on people to realize that, you know, this health care problem's not going away, no matter how much money we throw at it. So it's going to come back on us. If we're not if we're not healthier, we're the ones that are going to be in. I mean, some of us are lucky enough not to be facing these challenges that our fellow residents are, where they're, you know, really, really suffering because of the situation. It is not going to get better. It doesn't matter how much money we announce, it is not going to get better. It's on us. Back on us to be healthier, sir, unfortunately. It's certainly a big part of it, but, you know, for folks who continually say, if government did a better job spending money, look, we don't have a spend, uh, we don't have a revenue problem here. we got a distribution of money problem here. And in healthcare, if it was just a matter of money, we would have no problems, because the healthcare budget is about a third of our annual budget. We've increased spending in healthcare every single year since I've been following along, and things haven't got better. Things have actually gotten worse. Which is why I think uh, things like uh, the Health Accord and the roadmap to make it more sustainable are pretty important bodies of work. But uh, anyway, I don't think that's what you call about, Tom, but fair ball. No, thank you. Uh, I also wanted to acknowledge how happy I was to hear that Perry Trimper is back in the Liberal Party. He, he is a, he's a wise guy. I know he got himself into some trouble, but it's great to see him back in there. He's got a lot of input on these, the key thing which I want to talk about today, which is climate change and the environment. And you know, just to overlay it on top of the fact that you know our offshore oil production is down and is continuing to drop. Uh, Hibernia went down uh, 20% for July. Hebron down 6.7%, and White Rose down 1%. The price of oil is up, so we're making more money. But uh, our revenues are going down in that that area. And and Perry was the only one who voted against the Hebron, or I shouldn't say the only one. I think the NDP did as well, but but he did vote against the Hebron, not Hebron project, the uh, Beta Nord project. Uh, so you know, and, and what does that all mean? I don't want to get too deep in that, but that's that's just that's just that. 
you know, as we look around the world, and a lot of people, you know, anecdotally, or you know, they know that it's heating up. But if you read all the reports, the climate is becoming more unstable, and we're seeing it. I mean, you look at Pakistan over there right now, totally devastated. That's you know, that's a a very large country, um, and you know, they're looking at. $30 billion worth of damages. And if that was in Canada, you could probably multiply it by two or three just because of the cost of labor and stuff compared in the poor countries, poorer countries. Killed 1,400 people, affected 33 million. And 70% of their staple crops, like rice and corn, have been wiped out. So they're anticipating massive food shortages. And they don't think the floods are going to recede for six months. And, you know, a lot of people in Newfoundland and Labrador, we feel like we're we're insulated by it, uh, the land of Canada in particular, but you know our memories are pretty short. I mean, it seems like we're having these one in 100 year events. I mean, where did this, where did this tropical storm that was going to be 30 to 50 millimeters, all of a sudden it magically dropped 200 millimeters? And how about if it was 300 millimeters? Uh, you know, and it's, you know, it just causes us all to re- causes me to reflect. I mean, I hope it causes a lot of people to reflect. But I, I want to go back to uh, John Risley. Um, spoke at Atlantic Business Magazine uh, last week, and uh, and he, he said very, very, very strong, and he, he's a guy who kind of, anybody who follows him, he kind of speaks pretty bluntly, uh, but he, he said, I'm just going to quote him, Atlantic Canadians see themselves or the region as largely immune from climate change. He said, these are very, very severe conditions that should scare the hell out of all of us. We are not sufficiently scared in Atlantic Canada, he said. He also said that humanity, humanity is in a war with climate change and losing. If we don't do something about it, we're going to have a lot bigger problems than when the moose cross the road. Well, you know, the, it's unfortunate, I guess, that climate change is still a controversial issue when, you know, there's going to be scientists that speak out and say they don't agree with the man's contribution to it or what have you. But, like, for instance, at COP24, the conversation went something like this. The scientific consensus on climate change is akin to evolution and plate tectonics. So, I mean, if that's that, then I don't know why we're still having these arguments about how, you know, when people send me an email saying it's a hoax, I just don't get it. You know who doesn't think it's a hoax? Oil, oil and gas companies. You know who else doesn't think it's a hoax? Insurance companies. And they're quite clear, even though the oil and gas companies have you know, really tried to bamboozle us for so long. And they admit, in like, for instance, in the United States in front of Senate hearings, that they had this information decades ago. And yet they still had campaigns that really downplayed any implications regarding global warming or climate change. But they admitted it's true. Uh, insurance companies are the first to tell you. Just look at the numbers over the last five years. That increase in compensation for damages is extraordinary. And, you know, the thing is, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the healthcare, it's the same sort of situation. Governments of the world are not going to come together and fix this. And it's it's sad. United Nations, all these multilateral organizations are getting weaker. We're becoming more tribal. It's every person for themselves, both on a, a global, a national, provincial. I mean, you know, we're trying to compete with Ontario by paying more money to doctors to set up here. I mean, there's no world where Newfoundland can compete with Alberta and, and Ontario. I mean, every time that the government announces something, they give us home heating oil rebate, uh, reduction of gas taxes. I mean, you know, you just think about how many people drive around in large vehicles, whether they're luxury or large pickup trucks. We borrowed every penny that we give back to everybody in rebates. Whenever we reduce a tax, that's borrowed. This home heating oil uh, rebate, all borrowed. And and people and unless people realize that we have to take it upon ourselves 
to be conscious of our of our footprint. I mean, the wealthier we are, I mean, I went back and looked at my, tried to calculate my, my reduction in carbon footprint from when I decided not to travel anymore to now and reduce my meat consumption and just in every part of my business, like I say, say to my staff, I said, I don't want you to come, to drive, I don't want you to drive from my outdoor to the indoor facility to bring something in here, like do it in batches or send it in with an employee who works, like at every stage of my life. And I, I've got mine down to about 4.5 uh, tons per capita. And the average Newfoundlander is like 20.5. But all the people who do all the traveling and all have all these big vehicles, they should sit back and go on the calculator and figure out what theirs is. Because if the average Newfoundland, that includes poor people, that includes people who heat their homes with, with um, wood, that, which is carbon neutral to a certain degree. That's people who live very, very poorly. Because the average Newfoundlander lives actually fairly poorly compared to a lot of the people who are probably listening to the program maybe or not listening to the program. But, you know, the average income in Newfoundland is family income is like, like $80,000. But 50% of the population doesn't pay any provincial income tax. So, therefore, they're way below that level. Those people's carbon footprint isn't very big. They're not flying. They're not traveling. They don't have big SUVs in their driveway. But those of us who do really need to stop and think, what is our carbon footprint? That's your, that is your legacy. That's what you're leaving for your children and your grandchildren. And I would really love to see, as much as I respect John Risley for coming out making those statements, being so bold, he flies around in a private jet. There's a disconnect when our premier flies to Ottawa to watch Vladimir Zelensky speak from digitally. You know, and, and we go, we need those of us who have some sort of leadership position in the world need to speak openly because we have to lead because the global leaders can't lead because we don't want them to lead. So it's a chicken and egg thing. Yeah. I, I wonder what some of the rationale behind the visit to watch Zelensky, if it was only to do that, that that's a waste of time and money. But if it was also, I think, the prelim to close down the negotiations with Beta Nord, it all seemed to be at the same time. So I think that was and, maybe and, on and the agenda. I'll give you the last word, time before I sneak one more call on. Sure. I mean, I, I just what I really would love our leaders to do, municipal, provincial, federal, is, is say needs versus wants and take into account the carbon footprint of every decision. Does the RNC need to drive around in big SUVs? Does the city of St. John's need to have all these pickup trucks driving around? Do they always need to be out driving around? Like everything, I would just want to call on everyone on all levels, right down to the household level, to really be conscious and realize that we're going in a very bad place and uh, appreciate everyone. Stay safe. Thanks, Thanks. Tom. All the best. Bye-bye. Uh, let's get another one here. Line number three. Lindy, you're on the air. Morning, Lindy. Patty. Morning to you. One small item on that app, that old eating application program. Mm-hmm. Uh, da, 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 where are we? Most applications should be processed within 10 weeks of when they are received by the department, depending on volume of applications received. Okay. So this is October, November, December. You want to get, you want to get that to the middle of January? Well, it depends when you apply, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, as far as I go, it's still going to be 10 weeks. Well, I'm not surprised with any of that. And in fact, if they hit the 10-week threshold, I think they've probably done very well. Because yes, we know government they, moves at a snail's pace. But why didn't they put this out earlier? Why didn't the January month during the, the, the coldest time of the year? Yeah, but, okay, but this is a rebate after you bought the oil anyway, so it wasn't going to be money up front that you can buy oil. I, I think I get your point, but you've already have purchased the oil to heat your home or the stove oil to heat your home, and they'll get you some money back after you've proven that you've bought it. So even if that happens in uh, November or December or January, it's an after-the-fact thing. It's not money up front to go buy oil. 
Okay. Just wanted to give you an up. An update on it. Ten sure. weeks is a, is a long time. There's going to be a lot of people apply. A lot. Well, and every single person eligible is going to apply, of course. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Lindy. Yep. Bye bye. All the best. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, tons of calls. What the topics are, you'll find out after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Colin, you're on the air. Morning, Mr. Daly. How are you this morning? I'm grand. Thanks. How about you? The same, Grant too. Good. Wanted to uh, talk about Danielle Smith. Whoa. And the and Alberta's Sovereignty Act. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of it actually. I'm having trouble trying to understand the uh, the meat and potatoes of her proposed legislation if she becomes premier. Well, it's I don't really know what to say about it either, but. It's just what so many politicians of her ilk do is they start with an idea that could make some measurable sense, but then they take 10 steps so far that it becomes nothing but utter nonsense. So if she wants to talk about vaccine requirements, okay, we can talk about that. But then to go on to, you know, people who are public servants have to live up to her idea of Alberta visions and not allowing public officials to enforce uh, federal laws, not abiding by the Constitution, but by some made-up fantasy land document that she dreams up. Like, where does this stuff come from? I honestly, God, don't know. There is a place for conservatism in this world. Of course there is. But that brand, I don't even get it. If, if you can't even understand it, I know latching onto people's emotions and frustration and dislike of the federal government, fair ball, that's politics, that's how it's played. But some of these things, I just don't understand. And then, you know, if someone's going on and on all the time about deep states and stuff, you just really got to ask yourself the, the very serious question. Is this a serious person? And in this case, I'm not so sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it seems to me that she's using the, uh, the political wedge and, uh, you know, discontent a lot of people across the country and in Alberta, um, particularly uh, since she wants to be the premier of that province, or feeling. But, uh, you know, when does the political rant or ranting uh, cross over into the constitutional and the legal sphere and whatever she's talking about, uh, you know, if it has a populist bent to it, uh, is it actually going to pass constitutional muster? It's like, for example, you know, in this country, uh, in our in our constitution, the federal government is uh, um, has the power to draft and enact uh, criminal law. Uh, provincial governments do not have the power to uh, to enact criminal uh, legislation. They can, they can enact quasi-criminal legislation like the Highway Traffic Act and things like that, but they can't draft and enact uh, true criminal uh, statutes. So that's vested in the in the criminal law power of the federal government in our constitution. So if I try to understand her correctly or try to get an idea of where she's coming from, if there was a uh, section of the criminal code of Canada, say, that dealt with um, impure driving and related offenses, breathalyzer, roadside breath testing, et cetera. If her government decided for some reason that they were going to opt out of that or they were going to try to nullify that section of the criminal code, what would that mean? 
I don't know, but let's give an example. I'm just trying to pick up what you're laying down. So let's just say that the, a farmer has been caught drunk driving for the second or third time and then facing the consequent punishments, but at that point he'll be unable to satisfy his job requirements, unable to drive his vehicle, and because it's not Alberta first, they'd forgive that penalty? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Look, I get why provinces are saying things like Alberta first, and we have to look out for our own. That's all. People are sensible enough to that. We have to make decisions in our best interest. But there's also a collective best interest. There's also uh, ideals and policies that are for the Confederation. There's also bodies by the Constitution, there's abiding by federal laws. So opting out because you don't think, well, you, because you think you have enough groundswell support that you can make these big utterances and declarations, that doesn't make it right, doesn't even make it real. Absolutely. We, you know, we are a country that has a rule of law, as you uh, just stated. And uh, nobody is about the law, not even the government. You know, and if there are... Uh, uh, challenges to laws or you disagree with the law, whether it's the government or an individual person like you or me or anybody else, the proper forum for that is to, through the courts. And the courts make the decision on what's uh, lawful and unlawful or constitutional. Um, it, it just seems to me that uh, she's uh, trying to uh, garner some kind of legal support or, or, or give uh, credence to some some kind of legal uh, position that has no basis in law. It's based on populism. It's based on politics. It has nothing to do with law or the Constitution or the way that the constitutional order is set in this country, right? It's sort of how it works. It's not to say that every institution is infallible, that everything we've done for centuries or decades is perfect. It's not. And there's always ways to improve. But the whole concept of tear down in full, raise it to the ground, meaning burn it to the ground and start anew, is just not built in reality. It's just simply not based in reality at all. You know, whether it be complications at the Bank of Canada and Tiff Macklem and his team and what that contribution has made for inflation, well, we could talk about that stuff, as opposed to going to the great lengths to say, well, I'll fire you. Well, it doesn't work like that. So changing the way we do business and ensuring that the population that you serve is served as best possible, all the while understanding that there are tried and true things that do work, like federal laws. So anyway, Colin, last word to you before I take one more and the newscast. You know, it's uh, you, you can have um, uh, federal law and provincial law acting in tandem, and there, there can be disagreements over whether uh, uh, provincial law is encroaching on federal law or vice versa. But again, that's, that's, we have mechanisms for dealing with that. It's through tribunals and courts, and, and uh, we have rule of law. So it, it gets settled uh, legally. It's not settled by just some populist rent. Never is. I appreciate the time, Colin. Thanks. Cheers. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, the Sovereignty Act, good one. Let's go to line number five. Barb, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. Hi. Hi. On last Tuesday, I drove six and a half hours over to the West Coast. And while I was driving by myself, I was just wondering, like, why do we not have, have any, what they used to call, mile markers? I guess now it would be kilometer mile markers. Because other problems have them. Because why I thought of that, there was a car in front of me that was kind of weighing, swaying back and forth a bit. And I thought, you know... If there was a mile marker, I would be able to call the RCMP and see it. And that mile marker, 225, and there is a car, you know, blah, 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 uh, in front of me. 
the other provinces have them. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. A very interesting uh, observation. Even if I just need assistance myself because I broke down or whatever, I had an accident, I can call and say, I just passed mar- my highway kilometer marker 37. There's also yeah. the relationship between the, well, just uh, mile markers, mile markers and exits. So if you just pass uh, mile marker 47, then the next exit that you're headed for is, ex- is exit 57. You know how close you are to it, as opposed to yeah. relying on the big signs that says, you know, not. 99 kilometers to Clarenville, X kilometers to Gander, X kilometers to, to Grand Falls, Windsor. It's a good point. Yeah, because, like, you know, like, I thought, you know, like, this guy is probably going to kill somebody because he was swaying back and forth. And, you know, like, what, I mean, I couldn't call the RTMP because, you know, what could I say? Well, I just passed two rocks and this guy's in front of me and I think he's drunk, you know? Yeah. There's also the concept, I think, the uh, is also if you're not familiar with where you are and you don't have a compass or you're not that inclined geographically or directionally, there was always a thought, too, that you had you knew you were going in the right direction. You know, if you crossed yeah, yeah. from one state to another, I mean, one province to another, you knew that you were actually heading in the right direction because you yeah, might not be familiar uh, with yeah. whatever community is listed on the mile, or pardon me, the big sign talking kilometers. Fair enough? Yeah. Yes, I mean, and especially on Trans-Canada, I don't mean, you know, turning down to the small, beautiful towns that we have, but mainly on the Trans-Canada, you know, where there's been a lot of accidents this year. And I thought, you know, like, why don't we have that? It's not that expensive to put a piece of wood and a number on it. I seem to remember years ago there were some signs that had a small number on it and I didn't really know what they were and then someone told me it was also a way for the police to determine how fast you were going as opposed to pre- that and this is pre-radar and stuff and I thought okay well fair enough I don't know how quickly they do the math on that but I think you make an interesting point about mile markers it's always really important to know where you are so even if we were telling a tourist okay be careful this uh, uh, the, the, the Trans-Canada, this is Tony Power, he's a truck driver. The Trans-Canada does have, have them across the island, but not every kilometer, fair ball. So even if it was any every 10, and I don't know what the, the distance is between them, but even if you were telling somebody who's a visitor or someone who's from here who's never been to one community or another, once you pass kilometer marker 55, you're close. So that just little yeah. cues like that can give you a better idea of where you are and how far away from your destination you may be. Uh, Barbara, anything else on that front? No, thank you. Appreciate your time this morning. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's an interesting one. I never really thought about it. Okay, let's take a break for the newscast. When we come back, Rob's here to talk about Marine Atlantic and then tons of time left to speak with you. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one, Rob, you're on the air. How's it going, Penny? Doing good. You? Ah, uh, well, I've had better days, I guess, but uh, that's beside the point. I guess we've all had those. Uh, yeah, well, I guess we left uh, Alberta about two weeks ago, uh, crossed uh, three provin- uh, 12 states and three provinces, uh, had a reservation booked with uh, Marine Atlantic for September the uh, 14th. Uh, I guess we got a an email uh Stating there uh, a few days back, uh, September the 11th, I guess the North Sydney to Argentia run would be cancelled. Uh, so that was fine. So, you know, you're just figuring, well, our 14th date still should be good. 
but I guess now what they're telling us now uh, to take the Argentia ferry, and I guess uh, that's supposed to shut down in September, and the last date would be the 23rd of September. Uh, uh, and that's the date now they're telling us uh, that we can get across uh, to the other side, to Newfoundland side. Uh, they're also saying that we could have got the cost on the 19th for the bass side, but because my fifth wheel is uh, a little big, I guess, well, it's uh, not overly big, it's just 32 feet, but uh, they're saying it's too big and they can't accommodate us on the 19th. Uh, they may be able to accommodate us on the 20th, but to me, uh, I don't know if this is in the news or, or if there's any anything on it. But uh, I think myself, it's uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a little much to uh, to be putting people uh, uh, to traveling to and from uh, uh, the island in this situation. They're saying it's mechanical issues on the uh, our adventure side, uh, but I find it very funny that. You know, the, the, the last sailing date uh, for September is the 23rd of September, and uh, they can accommodate us on that date. So I'm, 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 finding it, I'm finding it a little difficult to swallow here. So What can we do? So if it is a mechanical issue, what would be the options, in your opinion? Well, the only options is, uh, I guess, the the uh, Fort Abbas run. But uh, you know, uh, also they should have something there, uh, uh, you know, in their in their fleet to be able to uh, accommodate that. And, and uh, you know, there's got to be some sort of a plan there because watch the difference. It's 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 you know, it's almost like a state of emergency. That you're having people backed up over here. Uh, uh, you know, they're saying this vessel that they're putting on uh, uh, Argentia can only take 300 passengers versus the the one going to uh, Port Basque, I guess, could take 600 passengers. So now they're trying to play the catch-up game again. But uh, the same thing, Patty, uh, uh, you know, uh, I left this island uh, uh, 40 years ago, and uh, they're having the same issue 40 years ago as they're having today. So, so who's who's looking after this who's running this because i can uh, uh, it seems like it's not working uh you know after 40 years uh you think uh somebody probably would have had uh, to learn something from their mistakes uh but now that's my opinion uh, fair enough and you're welcome to share it here on the show so i mean if, when it's mechanical and weather i don't know what kind of options marine atlantic has available but i will say the service is far from ideal and it's way too expensive that much is for sure just out of my own personal curiosity rob where do you live in alberta i live in fort mac alberta have you been there the whole time uh, yeah, well, like, uh, I've spent quite a few years in Ontario, and I've spent uh, the pretty well the majority of it, the rest of it, in Alberta. How's life in Fort Mac? Because that's a tricky little town. Uh, it's, 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 uh, we, we, we find Fort Mac. Fort Mac has been good to me. It's been good to my family. Sure. And, uh, and, and, and it's like anything else. Uh, you know, if uh, people want to work, <laughs> they go to work. Uh, and, and that's just the long and the short of it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I left a uh, small community in Newfoundland in, in uh, 1974, and 
the only time that uh, I was out of work is if I wanted to be out of work, and, and that's just the way it is. Well, that's one thing for sure. If you want to work and you live in Fort McMurray, it's out there uh, for you. No, no question there. Well, it's, it's, it's out there anywhere. It's, it's anywhere in Canada. Like, if you want to work, you can go to work. Uh, uh, you know, if it's... If it's uh, uh, digging ditches or, or, or on a computer. It, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's, it's what you want to accomplish, I guess. I suppose work ethic is uh, always a big conversation. What brings you home for just for a visit? Well, we're here, yeah. We're, 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 we're coming home for a visit again. And, and, uh, but, but, like, this is, you know, it, it, it's the same thing every time uh, this happens. You drive home, or, or for the most part, if you fly home, you know, it's, 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 it seems like there's always an issue on this end of it. I don't know if if, if this here is supposed to be the dumping end of uh, the rest of Canada or, or what it is. But no, and the vessels, a couple of them are quite new. I guess the Highlanders is just down for mechanical repair, and I don't know how long, what the extent of that will be. But uh, I'm sorry that you're arriving with the frustrations associated with Marine Atlantic, but I wish you safe travels the rest of the way. Welcome home. Yeah, okay. Okay, there we go. Uh, one more before the break. Let's go line three. Geraldine, you're on the air. Geraldine? Hello? Hi there. Hi. You're on the air. What's on your mind this morning? Um, well, I don't know where to start at. Um, I, I went, I come out of my apartment last March. I ended up in hospital. I had to come out of it because I never had enough to pay my rent. I'm senior at 69 years old, so I've been battling uh, a lot of health issues, and I can't get a place to live. So I reached out to the seniors, um, the seniors uh, connect, not the con- uh, connection, the seniors housing, and uh, and I reached out today, Brad, to try to get me a place because it's, it's only me and my puppy. I got her a place in a little place now, so on. So I've well, I've been living in my car now. This is my 14th day. And I can't get no no movement whatsoever. I know. Look, and I I've never asked nobody for nothing, nothing. I said I just want a place to live. So the apartment you were living in was that just a basement apartment, someone's home, or was it a housing? Where was it? No, it was a was a, it was at home port. Oh, okay. It was too high. I could I couldn't afford it. Uh, like because uh, I wasn't getting. I was working for that company, so I was getting so much, but. I'm I'm off now two years, and uh, the first year when I was getting unemployment was fine because I, it helped, but I wasn't getting no income supplement or nothing like that. I'm only getting uh, just my bit of Canada pension and all age. I couldn't afford it, so I come out of that and I I went uh, over the long and I've been back and forth here and here, living here and going here. But I've been in St. John's now in my car for 14 days now, and I've been going to one place and this place now for a shower, and that's just. So I'm reaching out to see if there's anybody out there that can help me. And uh, look, I got to get something that's affordable. No sense me going to get an apartment if I can't afford it. I got to get the seniors, and I got a bad leg with that, with a bad knee. And I've had that for the last 15 years. We'll try to get you some help. Uh, Geraldine, do you feel unsafe in the car overnight and what have you? I know that we're, we're not well, talking about well, that, last but. Night, last night I had the phone. Um, well, I know I shouldn't be saying stuff on the air. I don't know. Okay, well, but don't say anything that you don't want to say, but okay, let me say no, this. Last night I had to phone somebody last night. They had to come uh, to have a talk to me. 
I'll just leave it at that, right? Okay. We'll yeah. we'll try to get you some uh, immediate help for their, your housing-related issues. I know as people— far as I know, it, as far as I know, State Brazil Secretary sent in the papers. Uh, that was about three weeks ago. And I text him every day, and he said he put Russia on his priority. But that's two weeks gone by, and I I know it's not going to happen overnight. But it don't it don't make me. Uh, it's not that I feel safe in my car than I would anywhere else. It's just that now the weather is. I had one cold night that it was cold, like, and I'm not eating uh, properly because you know I have the coffee and that's it. Like I'm not I'm not living. Okay. So I, I tell you what. I'm going to give you a number. So okay. this person has been very accommodating and very helpful uh, with housing-related issues. I, I can't okay. promise that anything's going to happen, but I do have a good contact that I want you to call. Do you have a pen and a piece of paper okay. I can give you a number? Yeah, I should do. Okay, so 738-438-4555. And this person's name is? Is Darren. Darren? Yeah. You call Darren and see what works out. Uh, call back and let Dave know in particular exactly how this plays out. Because if we can't find some solutions between uh, Darren and the number I just gave you, then I'll go back to the drawing board, see what else I can figure out. But make that call and then let us know. I'll call back to the station. Or yeah, just speak with David. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to be curious as to how that conversation worked out, or whether or not you got some help. Because if you didn't, I'm going to try something else. So, so speak with okay. Aaron. Call us back. And just let Dave know, because of course the show will still be running. But just give David a quick update as to where we are, and we'll take it from there. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. No sweat, Geraldine. Good luck. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank take you. Bye-bye. Uh, should we thank Darren? Great fellow, this guy. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're talking about the municipal strike, I assume, out of Mount Pearl. And then Ray wants to talk about the pending GST announcement, and then we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number six. Gail, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, yes, and I just wanted to comment on the, on the health care in our province. Sure, go ahead. Uh, Recently, I had a relative in hospital, and uh, he was uh, in, admitted uh, in July. And the room that he was into, uh, it was room 512, actually, at the hospital. Uh, there was no water in the bathroom, in the sink. He had come out to his sink by his bed to wash his hands. There was no uh, shower working. And uh, he had to go, out, go down the hallway to use a shower. And the, wa the paint was hanging off, the paint was gone off the wall on one side, and the wallpaper was hanging off the wall on the other side, and the floor was filthy dirty. Uh, I don't think that uh, the hospital is, the maintenance uh, area is looking after the hospital. I think there should be more money put into it if there's not. Uh, you know, is it a matter of money? I'm kind of curious on that one because I had to visit a friend in hospital, I'm going to say, six months ago. Mm -hmm. And the room that they were in was awful. Like, it was yeah. just, it was dirty. It didn't feel like a sanitary place. It certainly didn't feel like a place appropriate for trying to recover or recuperate. Uh, I agree with you, sir. Yeah, no, I don't know why it is the way it is. Now, if there's a plumbing issue where there might be an interruption in uh, water and a sink in a room or and they're working towards it, okay. But when you have, like, this guy, the seat was ripped apart, the only chair to sit. It was all ripped mm -hmm. up. There was a big stain on the carpet right by my feet as I sat there trying to have a chat with him. There was all kinds of discoloration on the wall near the 
window. I assumed there had been a leak or something, but it just felt like it was a kind of dirty place. Now, we do know yeah. there's a lot of germs float around the hospital. That's a natural occurrence, and it's maybe not as clean as it should be because it's probably impossible to keep up with it in full. But some yeah. of those necessary repairs, like fixing up the paint on the wall and reco- uh, repairing the rip on the chair, those types of things, we should be able to take care of that. Yeah. Well, the way I see it, Sarah, is when you go to a hospital, you ought to get better, but instead you go to, you end up getting sicker. You can. That's true. That's, you know, so there's lots of shortcomings in the system, even though we have good people, lots of good healthcare workers. Oh, but yes. Things like, do. you know, and there's a couple of places, but notably, uh, like down at the Waterford, the state of some of the areas in that hospital and the number, the amount of insects and mice and rats mm-hmm. and like, it's just, you know, Terrible. Yeah, it's unsettling when, regardless if you're the patient, even if you're just a visitor it's all bad enough but you can only imagine having to be admitted in some of these circumstances it's not good so what was the outcome did you say it was your husband gail i pardon me i uh, know it was my son-in-law oh, it was your son-in-law how is he doing what's going on well he's terribly ill oh my goodness i'm sorry to hear that thank you he's back in hospital again now is he yeah admitted again in september so what's the prognosis what, what's wrong well he was diagnosed last october with uh cancer mm-hmm. and uh, it's I'm really sorry to hear that uh, so my best wishes and positive vibes to you and your family and it's too bad that with that typical medical circumstance you also have to be in a room that doesn't feel like it's appropriate in the healthcare setting I'm really sorry to hear this news Gail but I appreciate your time Yes, sir. And like I say, you know, I think that the government should put more money into maintenance and have the rooms and that cleaner and more and painted and, and done up better than what they are. And if there's a problem with plumbing, they should have a plumber come in and do something with it. I'm sure the government got lots of money that they can waste at other things, like having uh, uh, big dinners and things. And that money should be put into stuff like uh, education and uh, into uh, the health care in this case. I appreciate your time. Okay, sir, and thank you for having me on the air. Happy to do it, Gail. Good luck. Thank you. Alrighty, bye-bye. Uh, let's go to line number four. Minnie, you're on the air. Yes, Patty, it's nice speaking to you. Pleasure. Yeah, I thought I'd uh, call in this morning, try to light a fire on uh, what's going on at, at City Hall down in Mount Pearl. Uh, we've, been, we've had a strike going on now for 11 weeks, eh? And uh, we have had a lot of family members that have been in for the summer. My son was down uh, uh, sometime in July and August with five, and then there's, it's our own crowd. And uh, our garbage, we're having to take two bags a week and bring over to Sean <laughs> and put in Sean's garbage. And I'm wondering... What in the world is happening at this point? They've reached an agreement on everything other than that, uh, apparently, that uh, putting a letter in a file or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the QP president, uh, Sherry Hillier, and the local representative, the man's name is Ken, I think it's Ken Taylor, they've said that the financial agreements and the sick days and leave days and signing bonus and all that stuff is is fine. Their yeah. concern remains that there might be some discipline faced by a few members or up to 13 members of the local because of whatever. There was one example given about uh, safety violations. So 
if that's what's standing in the way, I guess there's probably a reason why they haven't brought it to the uh, to their membership for a full vote because some people yeah, probably just need uh, to get I mean, back to work. Happens, uh, Patty, all time in strike, somebody does something, and if it's anything that serious, uh, why not either send it to the police or uh, um, let people see what they're talking about? Because I haven't even seen anything. I don't think it sounds like a criminal matter. It might be just a, a health yeah. and safety violation or something of the like. But if that's all that's standing in the way, there's an awful lot of implications for the residents of Mount Pearl and the other striking members who I guarantee some of them want to go back to work. Apparently, uh, I think what it is, uh, Patty, that uh, they're probably making a quite a bit of money at, at uh, keeping them out. But the problem is, is, is what people are having to put up with. And I, I think uh, the people of Mount Pearl are very quiet about everything. And I think they just don't want to call in because I think it's quite frustrating for everybody, to be honest. Because, like I say, that uh, we got we got no list than 16 bags of recyclables, cardboard, papers, that kind of stuff downstairs. And we're wondering, even if they start up, will we be able to put 16 out right away or will I have them spread over a year or, or what? It's, it's, uh, it can get quite frustrating after a while, eh? Yeah, of course it is. It's dragged on. I think we're in the 10th week of this job yeah, action, this strike. I so. think this is the start of the 11th week, I believe. All right. So I thought now to myself, I better, someone had better call in because this could go on till Christmas. And you know how Christmas is when you when you got the garbage bags. The, the biggest problem I find is that our things are not for... We, we can only get garbage every two weeks, eh? And by the time we get to Sunday of the next week, it's coming over the top, so we got to take two over to someone else. And I don't want to do that either, right? But what do you do? You don't... Uh, you, could, you can't just leave it by the door or anything like that, so... Petty, I thought I'd call in and uh, and see if uh, uh, the, at least somebody is not asleep at the the switch down there, so that uh, uh, they can get back. Because I think with the little bit they're uh, bickering about now, it almost seems senseless to me that they're uh, disadvantaging people. And I, I would wish to Patty that more people would speak up because I think that if more people speak up. I think the council will try to get this settled, you know? I don't know who it's on at this point. Of course, I'm not involved, so it's not for me to say one way or the other. But if the financial implications are acceptable, then the other individual issues regarding discipline, I don't know how you navigate that in the court of public yeah. opinion or what the city can do. I guess the demand is that they drop all of the potential for discipline. Until then, I don't know, right? A bit of a standoff. If they were burning the farm off, it's a serious thing, Patty. Uh, the best thing would do, and I, I don't know if the the, the Members would be against that. I'm not on either side when it comes to uh, the strike, you know. I mean, uh, I could be on the union side or then I could be on the council side. But uh, like I say, I think that uh, if it's that bad and if it's assault involved, they should go to the RCMP or the RNC, you know. And uh, and if it's anything that's not... Uh, bullying and stuff like that maybe they ju just could settle it behind closed doors and come up with some sort of a compromise or something eh
I appreciate the time this morning, Minnie. Let's hope they get back to work ASAP, whatever that takes. I hope so. Okay, Thank nice. you. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Ray is there to talk about the GST announcement, and then we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back to the show. Uh, line number two, Ray, you're on the air. Well, a pleasant good day to you, Patty. The same to you, sir. Uh, you didn't blow away or get washed out to see or nothing like that? I didn't, but it was close. There, previously to uh, Mr. Trudeau's trip out west, uh, there was talk that he was going to make an announcement concerning HST, GST uh, uh, for people because of the high cost of living now. But unfortunately, he never got to make the speech because uh, Her Majesty the Queen passed away, so he returned here. Now, I don't think you'll hear anything else until, of course, 10 days after the Queen's death. You could be right. I mean, that's the grace period. Like, for instance, that's the length of time available to sign a book of condolences. They are going back to Parliament for a one-day sitting on the 15th of September. They were supposed to return full-time on the 19th, but now that'll be the 20th because that's the date of the funeral. So you're probably right on the money, Ray, with the the 10-day reference. Yes, and in the meantime, uh, like uh, I've had uh, been talking to a number of people uh, that seemed to be a little concerned uh, because they had heard that uh, there was going to be uh, uh, some kind of uh, uh, assistance with the funding for HST, GST in the short term. And um, maybe there's somebody in the political arena who can uh, address that because I'm sure somebody is listening. Oh, oh, sure. Uh, so the the reference to the GST, so it's a one-time benefit, but it doesn't go to everyone. I think it's tailored for low-income renters, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not a across the board, everyone's going to bump in their GST. It's going to be really targeted like most of these programs are. Then there's yeah. going to be some conversation about uh, dental visits for children 12 and under. So that's the issues that we're anticipating regarding the announcement, but nothing's been finalized. We won't really know until... Uh, uh, the announcement is made. But of course, for a quite long time, the NDP have been calling on the government to double the GST. So you yes. can, I think, like, I don't get it, but I, I think the maximum is $465 or something if you're single, 610 if you're married, something along those lines. Yes. Uh, and they're talking about a potential double, but I don't think that's what's happening. Right on. And uh, I'm sure, listening to some of your callers, that there's a number of people out there who could use uh, a little extra boost in time when uh, uh, prices of everything has gone so high. Uh, I heard him say when they gave uh, the uh, raise to pensioners that it was the first time in 50 years and uh, they gave $50 raise to uh, senior citizens over 75. Yeah, that's right. That was only regarding their old age security, you're right, which also gets indexed uh, based on CPI, but it hasn't changed in a long time, and a fixed income where people were... You know, I'll say struggling to make ends meet five years ago. Well, I don't know how they're doing it today. What in heaven's name uh, uh, are uh, senior citizens going to do with an income of uh, a couple thousand bucks a month? Uh, You know, if you're in St. John's and you have the unfortunate situation that you have the rent, uh, what do you have left over for anything? 
I, I hear you. Because even if we talk affordable housing, people say, you know, 30% of your net income. So that's about, say, for average earners around here or the median, 650 bucks. You can't get anything for $650 a month. No, impossible. Yeah, I agree, 100%. I thank you for your time, Patty, and uh, may you have a nice day. The very same to you, Ray. Thanks for this. Bye, now. Take care. Bye-bye. Also part of the announcement, there's, I think, another one-timer of 500 bucks. I think, for people who qualify or are eligible for the Canadian Housing Benefit. All right, so I guess we'll all find out at the same time when they actually formalize the announcement. And you know what's interesting is they made such a big deal publicly of uh, Jagmeet Singh and uh, Pierre, uh, pardon me, Pierre, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, you know, talk about this supply arrangement, the coalition, the whatever you want to call it. And now with this pending announcement, we're going to hear, hear it twice. One from Mr. Singh in one location, one from the Prime Minister in another location. I guess they've seen what some of the optics mean to some Canadians who are quite upset with the arrangement. Uh, let's go to line number one. Good morning, Mary, here on the air. Hello, Patty. Hiya. I, I was listening to you earlier talking about a family who was um, going through the struggle of having to deal with their child being bullied. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just, I just think that there should be some things put in place in the school where uh, I don't know if they got cameras so they can watch and 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 see the person who's bullying the you know the child and uh, probably then uh, consult the parents and say hey look this is the first time that they the they're caught bullying, uh, you'll have to pay a fine of $20, and then the next time they're caught bullying, uh, a fine of $50, you know, every time that child is is caught bullying, because no one gets hurt more when they're hit their pocketbooks, and, um, no, I just, I just wish there was an end to this with the bullying racket, like, it seems like the more talk about it, the worse it's getting. Yeah, and I mean, some of it, you know, it's, it's a difficult conversation. Some of it probably starts at home, you know, yeah. and I think that's probably a fair argument to make. Then, you know, the concept of fines to be levied. Uh, cameras in schools are probably a big issue regarding privacy matters. You'll hear a lot of fight back on that one. My, I think, though, I'm going to keep leaning on this one. You know, we've seen proven examples of what it means for the number of students who are not bullies to join together. I mean, that story from the United States where the captain of the football team said enough is enough, and they'd send out tweets of kindness. So let's say, for instance, young Mary uh, was getting bullied for what? whatever reason. The captain of the football team was sent out tweets saying things like, Mary's one of the smartest people I know in my math class. I'm glad she's there for me to ask questions. And then all of a sudden, Mary's getting some kindness, and the bully sees it and thinks, well, I'm not standing up to the captain of the football team. And so things start to uh, even out. Mary's protected because people surrounded her with that layer of protection as opposed to nobody wants to stand up to the bully. Now all of a sudden the bully feels like, wait now, now I'm on the receiving end. I think if the students took their schools back, not through aggression, but through those types of actions, I think we'd see a lot better environment in the school. I really do. Well, that's, that sounds great. I mean, you know, if, the, if, if there was only that one person who could take that initiative and, and do that, and, you know, it's scary. It's, it, like, for me as a grandmother, I worry about it all the time. I, You know, my granddaughter's a very quiet little girl, and uh, I worry about her all the time. And... Um, you know, it, when when you hear it, um, being a victim of bullying myself, um, and when I was in school, uh, you know, my heart goes out to that family who who has to deal with that because, you know, you, when your child is hurting, you're hurting, and um, 
I just wish there was some way that they could put an end to this, Patty. I really do. Well, I think we all do. We'd all be better served if it was it came to a head and however that looks I don't know but I think you know the one day a year with the pink shirt is not enough and we we just really need the students to take back their own schools I think that's where it begins and ends because administrators are in a bad spot teachers are in a tough spot here you know gone are the days where if the teacher or the principal called home to my mom or dad there was never any questioning of that person say how dare you tell me that Patty Daly's a bad boy because if I was a bad boy I was in trouble when I got home not my parents defended me to the principal and that's where the tables have turned so now a lot of the clout has been taken away from them because parents just won't own up to the fact that maybe just maybe your child is a bloody nuisance right so that's a big part of it too i know you know having lived i've got a bunch of teacher buddies and my wife is in the system it's remarkable just how often you try to identify a fact that one student or another is not behaving appropriately but then you got to fight with the parents about it why should you have to fight with the parents if your child is being bad at school maybe you know maybe just maybe you can uh, talk to your child and try to put him or her back on the straight and narrow or back on the rails anyway yeah well i've heard you know uh that parents are afraid of the kids and and teachers are afraid of the parents and the teachers are afraid of the kids and you know, and I, I think that all goes back to our justice system because when when you hear tell of someone who's in trouble and all they're getting is a slap on the wrist, sure, why not do it again if that's, that's all that's going to happen to you? So, you know, uh, people are afraid to, to fight anymore and, and afraid to take up for their own. That, that's just my opinion now, Patty. Well, and fair enough. I appreciate you making time for the show to share your opinion. Would you like to say anything else this morning, Mary? No, no, that's that's how it just just worries me that uh, that this bullying is is always an issue every year and and it's, it, it breaks my heart. It just really breaks my heart to think that kids have to go home crying and to their parents and it's just so sad. I appreciate this. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. You know, and this particular family that I'm speaking with, the child is refusing to go to school. I mean, just imagine. It's just an awful set of circumstances. Someone just sent along an interesting note. Uh, the person who played the bagpipes at St. Paul's for the Queen's service is a Newfoundlander. His name is Andrew Parsons, not the minister, but Andrew Parsons is a bagpiper apparently played at the Queen's service at St. Paul's. That's interesting. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, tons of time to speak with you about whatever's on your mind. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Well, I just mentioned an interesting fact shared by a listener that Andrew Parsons, the bagpiper at St. Paul's for the Queen's service, is a Newfoundlander. I think I know who he is. Someone just helped connect the dots. He's an East Ender, Tony, uh, in my neck of the woods. And his father is David Parsons. Many people would know David Parsons for his writings about the Royal Newfoundland Regiment and World War I. So, boy, it's a weird, small little world. Let's go to line four. Chess, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you today? Not too bad, you. Not bad, not bad. That's all rain. Lots of it. Over 200 yeah. millimeters fell in paradise. I wasn't expecting that. And uh, I got a question for you about the GST. You were saying about GST for six months. Is that for two years? Because you only get three GST checks for uh, a year. No, it's a one-timer. Now, we don't know exactly what it's going to be because there hasn't been a formal announcement, but what the rumor was or the story was that there's going to be a temporary boost to the GST credit. It's not going to be two years worth of boost, no. No, no. I'm talking about like say. Uh, did you say it was for six months? Well, uh, hold on, Chess. 
until the announcement is made, we don't really know. There's a story that, that was out there that it was going to be a one-time bump that reflected six months' worth of GST. There's yeah. going to be a one-time benefit for low-income renters. So yeah. th- I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but my my thoughts on it is is going to be a, a boost that replicates six months' worth of GST. Six months. So that yeah. like, uh, you only get three GST checks one of a year, right? Yeah. So that would be uh, come over two years. No. Okay. No, six months. Six months. So you'll be getting it for six months. A quarter of two years. No, it'll be, it'll cover. Yeah. It'll cover six months of GST. That's what well, okay. we've been told. Now we'll yeah. find out. Yeah. I heard you talking about that poor woman on the radio sleeping in the car. That's shocking, Petty. There's no need of that, you know. Poor soul, right? Yep. Yeah. I think it's hard stuff, man. I hear a lot of it. And she's not the only ones out there. There's a lot more out there. There are. I mean, everything's too expensive, Patty. Mm-hmm. Everything has gone to the roof, and poor people can't survive. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what it seems like to me. You know, everybody finds it hard. I find it hard too, right? You know what I mean? It's hard going, right? From one day to the next, right? But anyway, I want to call in about the GST and see what's on the go right now. And thank you. Hope you have a good day. You too, Chess. All the best. Yeah. Yeah, bye. Okay, bye bye. Yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> uh, when the announcement is made, I guess we'll all know for sure what the details include, whether it be one time benefit for low income renters, a temporary boost to the GST, one time additional monies, maybe up to upwards of $500 for those eligible for the Canadian or the Canada housing benefit this year. I guess we'll all find out. Uh, but I think a caller earlier made an interesting observation. He's probably right on the money. The 10 days between the Queen's passing and things like these types of big announcements may indeed be tempered. I don't know if that's exactly what's going on, but the initial announcement date was derailed with the Queen's death, so that's part of it. Got a couple of interesting emails regarding the fact that a uh, former independent member of the House of Assembly for Lake Melville, Perry Trimper, is now back in the Liberal caucus. People trying to draw a direct link between that and the timing of the announcement for resettlement monies uh, for residents of Mud Lake. So we know that it used to be you required 90% voting in favor of resettlement before the government even considered it. Because even at that time, even if 91% voted in favor of resettlement dollars, it didn't mean you were going to get it because the government looks at it through 10 years of potential savings that has to add up to $20 million before they'll pay out the compensation between $250,000 and $270,000 per resident. So now it's been brought back down to seventy-five, which I think makes a bit more sense, even though it's a pretty divisive approach to these types of conversations as opposed to any real leadership. But in Mudlake, there's nothing. You don't have to vote on anything. Every household can make their own mind up. If they think that based on some additional risks regarding flooding, because we know that there was extraordinary flooding in Mudlake there a couple of years, a few years ago, it's, there's a class action lawsuit where that's making its way through the courts now on behalf of the residents of Mud Lake about this issue. Now, there was an independent report that pointed to natural occurrences, ice blocking the river. But I don't really understand the point someone's trying to make here is that so I think this kind of feels more like the government admits a bit of liability with waiving the voting requirement for compensation monies as opposed to Perry Trimper has anything to do with it. Maybe he does, but it just I'm having a hard time making that connection. So for that particular email, I just replied and said, I'm not sure if you can elaborate. That would be helpful. But that's the connection that they're trying to paint between that. 
And so we'll see what the federal government announcement is. But someone, and several people actually, have asked me for a link for the application form to get involved of to get involved in the home heating fuel rebate. And of course, it's only if you incur costs directly related to fuel or stove oils or home heating oil to heat your home. Not for anybody else. Not if you're on electricity or otherwise. So you can indeed have electric baseboard heaters, but rely on furnace oil. I mean, as long as you can show an invoice with a minimum purchase of 250 liters, I don't know how they could deny it. The real trick here comes with the income threshold. And someone wanted me to read it out one more time, so I'll do exactly that. Eligible households will receive a maximum supplement of $500, where the adjusted family income for 2021 is $100,000 or less. A partial supplement is available to households with adjusted family income for 2021 of more than $100,000, but less than or equal to $150,000. The minimum supplement in that case would be $200. It's a help. And of course it is. There are a bunch of additional eligibility issues, like there's only one person per household can make a claim for it. It's between October the 1st of 2021 to November the 30th of 2022. Even when you file the application and you show the invoice that you made that purchase, it's going to take up to 10 weeks for them to be processed. Now, if they hit the target of 10 weeks, that's probably not bad regarding just how the glacial pace at which government operates sometimes, but there are a bunch of additional uh, exemptions or different applications that you might indeed be able to get this support, but then there's all kinds of stuff about living in a long-term care facility, adjusted family incomes and the like. There's a bit to it. I'm happy to share. If you send me an email and simply want to leak a link that shows all of these different application issues, I can send it along. It's really no problem. Then, but you have to file your taxes with CRA for 2021. So if you haven't done that, you won't be eligible, period. So that's got to be satisfied before you do it. And also there's conversation around whether or not you get direct deposit from CRA, things like your tax refund or the GST credit. If you've got that set up, then your home heating supplement can indeed be direct deposited into your uh, that same bank account. If not, you're going to have to be waiting for a check. So those are some of the things to consider. Uh, someone really quite cross with me about uh, talking about the potential and this is not something that I've instigated, apparently this is happening on the federal scene, is the thought and the recommendation on some and the pushback from others is that September the 19th, the day where the Queen will be laid to rest, is that a national holiday. And I said that I don't think it's a very good idea. I think when businesses are already struggling, businesses are struggling to keep staff, and then if they have a paid holiday to come up with those additional monies at this moment, just doesn't sound like a very good idea. One of the, the chief economists at the Bank of Montreal says that it could cost somewhere in the neighborhood of 0.1 and 0.2% of annual GDP, cost between 2 and $4 billion, when there's lots of things we can do to commemorate that particular day. Some people are absolutely quite shook with the news of her passing. But I, I don't know. I, and you can be mad at me if you like. I mean, th that's fine by me. My thought was that if there, you wanted to do something and you're talking about a life of public service, as people refer to the Queen's legacy and 70 years on the throne, is I said maybe if you're someone who thinks that some of the holiday or something is a good idea, if we all just took that, uh, took that day to do something in the air of public service, whether it be an, an act and or a donation to a food bank, for instance. Maybe something like that would be a nice token of your thoughts regarding public service and the needs that are out there. Okay, we're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. You can follow us there.
Our email address is openlinefeosim.com. It's time for the news, but when we come back, the topic, well, that is up to you. It doesn't matter if you've heard it brought up on the show today, yesterday, or ever. You can bring it up if you're so inclined right after this. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Just see an interesting question posed by Beatrice. She asked, will individuals receive the $500 benefit even if they owe the CERB? So some people found themselves in a pretty tricky spot. You know, they applied for employment insurance, put right directly onto the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. Then there were people that weren't eligible. Then there was the clawback, uh, the clawback that has taken place. You know, people, for instance, on income support. They didn't lose their job or they didn't see a reduction in hours, but they applied for and got the CERB anyway. And, of course, it's taxable income. Some people didn't make provisions for that inevitability that we're going to have to pay the taxes. And that was about $2,000 a month. So that's a good question, Beatrice. I haven't seen it referred to as of yet, but of course we don't have all the details because there has not been a formal announcement. So I guess we'll all wait. Someone's also asking what I was talking about with the relationship between Food First NL and retailers. uh, This program they call Great Things in Store. As opposed to me giving out information that may be half right, half wrong, which I don't like to do, we're anticipating a call with Josh Smee. He's the CEO at uh, Food First NL to talk about it, maybe to get more retailers involved in it, what it's going to mean for access to some uh, uh, foods, healthy and uh, decent options to where where you live. So we're going to see if we can get him on. Also, I made reference to a food delivery service. Now, there's a couple of them in play. This most recent one, which I think will be of benefit to a lot of people in smaller rural communities, especially if you're close by a DRL coach line stop. What it is, is a group called Big Feed and the Big Feed Club. They've struck a relationship with the DRL coach lines. So there's about 1,500 Costco products that if they, if you order it, they'll deliver it to you right there at a DRL stop close by where you live versus what has been a very popular thing, I think, is that people, maybe it was every one Sunday a month or something, would make the trek into, in this case, Galway to go to Costco to load up. A lot of people did it. The people see the savings and the value of shopping at Costco. Fair enough. But now, factoring in in particular the price of gas or diesel, and maybe that makes it not as attractive as it once was to make that pilgrimage into Costco, now this crew will be able to deliver it to you. So they've got 21 stops on the Cross Island route from St. John's to Port of Basque. You're going to need to register at the Big Feed website if you're interested in this particular thing at all. And so you go to where the DRL coach line stop is, one of the 21, and you get your delivery. Registration is free. You do have to register, as I mentioned, at the Big Feed website. But I think that's going to be a really popular option for folks. It may not be the fun you had or the enjoyment you had for going for a day trip and catching a lunch somewhere around Galway or around town or the surrounding area and get your trip to Costco because we know how popular it is. What I always found interesting, this is just a side note, this Costco here is one of the most profitable and valuable Costcos in the country. 
which is really quite something. I've only ever been to the new Costco a couple of times. I do the grocery shopping. My wife does the Costco run. I don't really like going in there, to be honest with you. But, and of course, the two times I did, as opposed to the couple of hundred bucks worth of stuff we were probably going to get as a family, we got more because I'm an idiot. And I just started putting things in the cart. So if you're interested in that particular thing, and again, if you're just listening and you're driving and you don't have a chance to jot any of these things down, if you get in contact with me, send me an email, I'll send you every bit of information I have if you want to sign up for either or. And another couple of people, again, ask me, are we having a holiday on Monday? There's not been a decision, as far as I can tell. And this is all regarding uh, Queen Elizabeth II's funeral at Westminster Abbey. And again, I know this will not sit well with some. I think that just sounds like a bad idea for a variety of reasons, business reasons in particular. But no, there has not been a final decision made at this moment in time. Okay. There's a lot of people out there still clamoring for some support from municipalities and or from the provincial government to deal with the damage they suffered with the remnants of Hurricane Earl over the weekend. I got caught completely off guard. I heard, for instance, Ben Murphy on the VOC Morning Show talking about the pending forecast. I heard Brian Medora in his newscast talking about it. But it never even seeped into my mind that it was going to be as nasty as it was. And then you see some of the damage and the pictures of the damage in different parts of the city and Paradise and Mount Pearl and different parts of the Avalon Peninsula. Just absolute madness. Madness. What happened to Kilbride? You know, I guess there's a variety of factors contribute to just the amount of damage they suffered out there, the roads in particular. Apparently the crews were out there last night trying to make it even simply passable for folks who in the affected areas. The roads buckled and the sinkholes appeared and big swaths of roads are gone. So the crews are out there probably up until around 11 p.m. last night to try to put some repairs in place, at least, at least make it passable because you're not going to see blacktop applied I don't imagine, in the next little while. So they had to get the, the equipment out, the excavators and the trucks and the front-end loaders and try to just rip it up as best they can, get some fresh gravel down so at least the folks in the area can get out of there, go to work and go to school and do whatever else they're doing in the run of a day. So that's the issue there. There has not been anything based on the weather event that we saw that is going to trigger the disaster financial assistance plan or program. So everyone's left to their own devices and to deal with their own insurance companies. If you've got damage that requires going to your homeowner's policy, for instance, whether it was a flooded basement or anything else under the sun. So it looks like that's where we are at this moment in time. We went on to talk about, we had one caller early in the show too, his name was Ross, talking about some of the rivers that have swollen over the banks and consequently that water, which is the unstoppable force, made its way into roadways and parking lots and buildings and homes and all the rest of it. I know there's always going to be concerns with the environment. And, you know, gone are the days where you could throw a backhoe out in front of the wharf to dredge out, you know, so you could jump in, jump in for a swim without hitting the bottom or bring your speedboat in. But the thought to make sure that the riverways are clear of, of some unnecessary overgrowth and or silt or rock that makes its way in, because consequently, you know, if the water doesn't have anywhere to go in the river, then it is going to go somewhere. It's the same concept associated with the engineering work done at the health sciences complex for the construction and the long-term operations of the new mental health facility. It's all fine and dandy to tell me that you're going to be able to engineer the berms required to keep the place dry. That's a good thing. And yes, engineers can probably absolutely handle that. 
But again, we're just talking about protecting one piece of infrastructure to possibly put something else in jeopardy. Because the water just doesn't stop at the berm and say, well, that's it. There's the berm. Life's over. I'm not going anywhere else as water. Yes, you are. The water's going to go wherever the water wants to go. So just diverting water doesn't protect anything but the one piece of infrastructure where the engineers got involved to that level. Anyway, we're on Twitter. We're VOC Mobile Line. You know what to do. You can follow us there, pass comments, uh, whatever you think is interesting to you or potentially to other listeners, and or send us an email. It's openline at VOCM.com. My favorite is when you join us live on the program. All you have to do is give David a call in the queue, and away we go. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to do exactly that is 273-5211, or elsewhere it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM. We're taking a break, and then we're coming back. Welcome back. Uh, let's go line number two. John, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. How are you doing today? Great today. Thanks. How about you? Good, good. I'm, uh, you spoke in your monologue about the intensity of the weather and its effects on our environment. And uh, I meant to call in yesterday and ask this question because, you, you know, uh, I, would have, I would imagine the vast majority of our infrastructure and, uh, has been built for the 20th century. Um, but, you know, as we know, global, you know, environment's changing, weather's changing, it's getting, things, things begin more harsh. And um, I'm wondering if any uh, municipalities in province or Canada, for that matter, are they looking at changing the way we build, construct, you know, roads, bridges, uh, buildings, for that matter, to withstand, you know, more water, withstand more rain, withstand more heat? That sort of thing, because if we're still designing things with a 20th, 20th century outlook, I think we're wasting our time. But uh, I just that was just my comment for this morning. I just didn't know if anyone was uh, was doing that right now. There are. Short answer is yes. Uh, the city of St. John's has a new position uh, designed for exactly that purpose and that role. So, look, you're 100% right. Emergency preparedness isn't just drawing up a plan for what happens if this happens and, you know, human resources and heavy equipment, like, for instance, snow again or what have you is preparedness to try to alleviate any of these negative impacts from these weather events so yes once again the short answer is there are absolutely municipalities and provinces and the federal government looking at these things because it's inevitable if people don't want to believe it's happening then just you know continue to close your eyes and just pretend it's not but it is it just is happening if you look at the insurance companies and the insurance bureau of the country they point out a very significant and serious trend in the amount of money pay down and compensation directly related to weather it's like it's never been before people can argue about what the contributing factors are but it is it's as plain as it always on your face so yeah to plan for how we develop which is what i was trying to get out in the in the opening this morning is you know how and where we build a breakwater how and where we develop land how and where we clear land how we divert water if we're going to use rivers as storm drains then we have to have them available to handle the volume of water just like we did when we expanded the size of culverts after igor so there's a lot of work to do on that front. I, you know, I'll make the analogy is if you're living in and around the San Andreas Fault and you don't build to accommodate the potential of earthquakes, then you're just building something that's destined to fall. Same thing in the east coast of Canada when we talk about weather. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I guess because I guess I, I look at the fact of like the, a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of Canada is caught, not, caught on to this uh, building construction called in, insulated concrete foundation, which is which works really well in our climate because, you know, it keeps it cool in summer and warm and, and keeps the heat in, in the winter. But that wasn't designed for here. That was actually designed for, you know, uh, for a tornado alley down in, uh, you know, the, uh, down the States where hurricane, their, their way of constructing 20 years ago was, well, just wood, wood, 
wood construction, put it up, and then the storm would come in, knock it all down like check, like uh, dominoes. And they said, okay, enough is enough. So then they started putting concrete in the uh, in walls, and not just foundations, but the walls as well. And 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 you could, and they, the, the pictures proved it. You know, a hurricane would come in. Oh, look, there was a house that wasn't built ICF. Oh, look, there's the house that is built ICF. It's still standing and with very minimal damage. So, and I guess it gets back to, you know, the caller calling yesterday, but the rain getting in up uh, in through his foundation because he's slab on grade. You know, like, if companies, companies will build things if government forces them in the direction to build it. And I guess that's uh, where my question was, my comment was coming from this morning. As long as there's somebody forcing, you know, companies to build a certain way and to a certain uh, level, then, uh, you know, hopefully uh, it will just be better prepared for the future. That's all. all, There's always going to need to be attention to building codes. But, of course, that's just how you build your house. It's not necessarily where you're allowed to build your house. So I think they're kind of two different things. Like, I mean, things have changed so rapidly with how we build homes and the fire retardant grade of some of the materials. You look at a home that caught on fire in 1960 and how long it took for the home to be engulfed in flames versus what it looks like today. It's just unbelievable. You got minutes, minutes before the house is engulfed. So I think, you know, when we talk about building code stuff, that's one thing. And they can always change those to accommodate the difference and the frequency and severity of the weather. I think more importantly is how we, and how we, uh, pardon, not how, where we build, because that's going to be the influence on all this. Whether it be Brookfield Estates and the influence it had in the, the Kilbride flooding, or whether some of the water in the Barrett subdivision and in the river there and around Clinch Crescent has something to do with the way it came out was clear. It all it all works hand in glove. So I think those are the big questions. Yeah, that's that's a true point. Yeah. Okay. No. Okay. No. That was that was pretty much my point for today, Patty. Thanks very much. I'm glad you called, John. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye bye. Okay. Let's keep rolling. Let's go to line number two. Peter, you're on the air. Yes, buddy. Uh, how's the how's the day going? Doing okay so far. How about you? Oh, hanging in there, buddy. One day at a time, or one birthday at a time, anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, I like to express be condolences to the family of uh, Queen Elizabeth and I got no uh, no beef with the, with the royal family as such but uh, having said that like you know like well I haven't watched the news a whole lot I just more or less go forward when when, I, when I was on there like I watched the first part but you know like for watching that funeral proceed for 10 days, you know, like there's uh, very little of no interest to me. And i just like to say, like here in Canada, you know, I really think it's time for Canada to move on beside, you know, the monarchy is a, a very little of no value, you know, to Canada. I can't see where, and you know, like they can have the monarchy in their own country and the royal family and things like that, but you know, like spreading it out in the Western world and other parts, I don't think it was a, a great thing. I think they should go to a, to a vote to Canadian citizens and just see exactly how, how they feel about it. I don't think the like, government should decide. I think the people of Canada should decide if that's something that we want to be a part of. And the reason saying that, you know, like... Well, VOCM is the voice of the common man, and I'm as common as you're going to get. But, you know, like, uh, I got opinions on the world that I live in and the country that I live in, and uh, I just like to say, Patty, you know, like, uh, 
You can be born black, white, rich, or poor, indigenous, it doesn't matter. But you know, you can be born like that. But when it comes to being with respect, that's something in this world that you have to do to earn. You can only earn respect. And I don't know, like, since I came into the world, like my father, he was born British. We buried him. He served in the World War II. We buried him half a British flag and half Canadian flag at the age of 93. But, you know, let, let, let's say that, you know, I had no disrespect. But once he became Canadian and stuff like that, you know, he had his own views and the way that we were before Confederation and the way that we were when he died. And, okay. uh, but what does that, I'm sorry, just so I understand, uh, what does that have to do with the presence of the monarchy in Canada? Just so I, I'm clear. Well, I don't think there's any place for it right now in, in Canada. You know, Harry came over to get out of the media. I don't think he was ever in the media anymore in his life. And if they think the paparazzi, you know, telling us that someone in the royal family had morning sickness, I really don't think that's great news. And when they come to inspect our guard, or our soldiers, men and women, right here in Canada, I would like to see somebody who lost limbs or suffering from mental illness of wars. That I wouldn't go fast forward on the channel. I would, I would really enjoy watching it because I would have deep respect for that, that soldier, man or woman. And... Uh, you know, who's suffering uh, because of wars and things like that, rather than someone coming in, costing Canada's a fortune to send a plane, go get them, bring them here, pay for the pay for the security and everything else. And uh, I, I just think we're out beyond that now. This is 2022. If they want it in their country, a, a, a king, and then it's the dollar. Whose picture are they going to put on the dollar? Haven't we had some good man or woman in Canada in the last hundred years that we could put our, a picture of our own country who represented us and done well for us and then somebody for, from the monarchy? And we have. Of course we have. Um, you know, I, I, look, I'm a, I don't really... When it comes to the cost associated with, for instance, uh, Harry and Meghan's security and those types of things, and they didn't come to get away from the paparazzi. I think it was more about how the British treated Meghan in particular and some of the rifts inside his own family uh, as in regards to Meghan Markle. So I think that has much more a role than just the paparazzi. Some of the stuff I don't care about. You know, when it comes to the money, we can all care about that. Absolutely fair and legitimate concern. The whole figurehead of uh, the King of Canada and the hereditary uh, nature of the British monarchy is all a little bit weird this day and age. I don't know if there's any value in it. I don't know what we get from it, but we certainly, you know, when people say reigning over Canada, there really isn't any of that. I mean, we don't ask permission of the king or the queen for these types of things. It is very much symbolic as opposed to any legitimate issue like sometimes we go through the pomp and circumstance of the prime minister of the day will uh, pick someone to be the next governor general and then it gets approved by the king or the queen when they've never said no i mean so these are all figurehead things the big concern for many will be the money now also if we're going to talk about the money there's a, a significant cost associated with doing away with the monarchical presence in this country just imagine the amount of tedious work that has to be done even inside of provincial and federal governments and i guess municipal 
local governments just to weed out every mention of Her Majesty the Queen and replace it with His Majesty the King. And then the portraits and then the insignias and the sashes and the labels and throughout the Canadian military. When we replace all that, I think we could do a cost-benefit analysis of is it worth it to keep it or cost more to get rid of it? So I think there's a bit more to it than simply saying, ah, enough is enough. Well, you'll only get rid of it once. And once it's gone, it's gone. So if it do cost a bit of money, sometimes it takes a, a few dollars to get rid of something. But Fair. right now, I think we're paying continuously. So, uh, you know, for that part of it. And uh, and that's my uh, ramp uh, for, for, for that part. That's my opinion. Sure. And uh, and I really... Uh, I don't. I don't see what they did, you know, to for for me to respect the monarchy enough to want it to be a, a part of Canada. So, having said that, I'd just like to mention the healthcare system, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, if you're finished with the monarchy, I'm done with the monarchy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I think the healthcare system. Since the last time I I called you, Patty, I, I think it's worse. And, you know, like, you get emergency room, slows down, and twilling gate, and, and then sometimes in uh, Whitburn and other places, and, you know, it overflows on the IAMs outside St. Clair's and health signs, you know, with still patients in them and stuff like that. And there's still no family practitioners coming on board. So I can't see, uh, I can't see, like, uh, it improving. But but I I think you know like our, our government of today, I think they should put signs like in North Sydney and Pearson Airport and Halifax Airport International there. You know if you're traveling to Newfoundland and Labrador, you know do it at your own risk. We don't have uh, the emergency facilities here to in the event that something, God forbid, should happen. We don't really have the emergency facilities for the people of up to problems, let alone people from outside traveling in. So I think they should be told that they should have to do it at their own risk. Well, I don't think it's any different here than it is in many parts of the country. I mean, just look at what's happening in Ontario. They're very much in the exact same boat. We are probably even worse. But uh, I don't think this is a unique to this province uh, issue and or concern or healthcare professional shortages and pressures on emergency rooms. I think it's very similar across the country. It feels terrible here. And look, if we had a long weekend where Eastern Health had to say out loud, don't come to the emergency room unless it's absolutely necessary. And if you're living out in Whitburn, it's for the 10th week you can't go to the emergency room because it's closed. Or all of the rotating closures out in Central Health. It's very real, Peter. No one can deny it. And it is a massive problem. But where the solutions lie in the short term, I'm not sure anybody has any ideas. I really don't. Well, you know, like, uh, they sent all those nurses home and, and people who wouldn't take the vaccine. Yeah, that's gone, and though. They had everything covered. But they that's gone. On in the media, if you want to play it back over, Patty, everything was okay, everything was going to be fine, everything is covered. Now, those people with professions, they had to live, so they moved on somewhere else. And now... They never had it covered in, I don't know about and they that. haven't got it covered now. Uh, the, the numbers of people that, uh, healthcare professionals in particular, uh, with the vaccination mandate and stuff, now uh, people can believe the government numbers if they want or not, but we were told it's in the neighborhood of 97, 98% of uh, government healthcare professionals, they, had, they were vaccinated. And so those numbers, if they all left the profession, even when the vaccine mandates were dropped and did not come back, I don't know what those numbers add up to, but certainly not enough to make the problems are what they are today. 
I mean, I think it's bigger than that. I guess my only point. Like the thing like they came basically over twelve month period, or you know, like uh, I don't know, I don't, I can't see where the pandemic, you know, was that many nurses and doctors passed on due to the pandemic here in uh, this part of the country to make the situation what it is today. I don't think anyone said that. I think this has been brewing for quite a long time. If people don't think that, then they have not been paying attention or watching, because this has been a concern. Has it been exasperated throughout the last two and a half years? Yeah. Absolutely. And what are the contributing factors? I don't know. Uh, but I think there are many versus just one. Peter, I'm really late for the news, but as usual, I appreciate your time. You're always welcome. Thank you. All Bye-bye. the best. Bye-bye. All right, we are going to take a break for the news. When we come back, you'll be in the queue. I can feel it. Don't go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, look, I mean, <laughs> Where you stand depends on where you sit on every issue under the sun, including the role of the monarchy or the life and the legacy of the queen and what have you. And this fellow was quite frustrated that it wasn't simply a conversation of homage to 70 years of public service and what have you. And that could be part of the conversation. A caller, Peter, just called about the associated cost of the monarchy and the role in society. So here's the email. Seems you are totally missing what the monarchy would mean to many people. It's not about the money. If you think in terms of money and cost, you are lost. Really? For people to have considerations associated with money means that they're lost? Hmm. And this is an inappropriate time to be discussing those issues. A caller, caller with an opinion. That's how the show operates. Whether or not you appreciate the, the opinion or not, just kind of beside the point. So I'll start that sentence again. And this is an inappropriate time to be discussing those issues about ending the monarchy in Canada slash the UK. In consideration for the late Queen Elizabeth, who devoted 70 years to public service. No one's denying her time on the throne. Like, I'm not really sure what the basis of that concern is. To not include all levels of coverage. Look, if you think the timing is inappropriate for anyone to be thinking anything but uh, 70 years on the throne, is kind of also kind of missing the point, isn't it? You know, there's no real downside to talking about the role of the monarchy. It doesn't mean that the monarchy ends in Britain or the United Kingdom. If people think that it's time to have a discussion about the future of the monarchy in the country, I'm not so sure that's disrespectful to the Queen. Why would it be? Because that conversation was happening while the Queen was alive and serving. So, look, I get there's a lot of adoration pouring in for Queen Elizabeth II. And from where I sit, just my own personal opinion, take it for what it's worth, I had no problems with her. I mean, she inherited a lot of uh, monarchical baggage. And she handled herself quite stoically in public, dealing with a lot of real serious concerns, not only throughout the Commonwealth, but inside her own family, when many of us would retreat and would want no public spotlight or conversation around some of our familial issues and some struggles. So she was really quite stoic and apparently had a great way with people and put people at ease and obviously had a caustic wit, which I much appreciated. I I admired her. Now, there's lots of conversations about the monarchy and what it's meant in many countries, whether it be in Africa or the Caribbean or indigenous communities, but I don't know how we all pretend that that's not part of the conversation. The poor woman died at the age of 96 after 70 years of service. Fair enough. But, you know, I don't know why you get mad at someone for bringing up conversations that have not just started in the last week. These have been happening for years and if not decades, regarding what is the relationship between Canada and the British royal family. That's all. 
that's not a diss at the Queen, because I don't know how many times I can say it. I actually quite enjoyed the Queen and admired her in many respects. But anyway, people get pretty wound up. But that's the nature of the beast, right? You know, the public opinion is exactly that. And there's people on either sides of the fence, you know, beyond conversations around the role of the monarchy, but public policy and different public parties, political parties, pardon me, and the future of those parties and where one party wants to bring us or another, that's just part and parcel of how we operate. Now, there's a distinct difference between a conversation or a debate or a discussion surrounding these things versus what has been a much more fueled by vitriol and venom sometimes when we talk about some of these matters and it needn't be that way some people are just all in and they're unwavering and this, so be it i mean it doesn't bother me one iota and if and when we disagree on things that's fine by me too and hopefully it's fine by you because we can't all think and feel the same th way because we all have different life circumstances whether it be your age or your gender or you're single or you have a family or you're disabled or you're indigenous or you're whatever you are or your religious leanings that's kind of the beauty of it as much as it sometimes becomes the very dark corners that some people are willing and wanting to go to so these types of debates and discussions let's just have them and there's really no problem with it. Now, you know it when you hear it, where someone is completely detached from reality and things go s completely sideways before there's an actual conversation to be had. We all know that. We all see it. We hear these types of things. You certainly have the opportunity to read it. And I think, you know, political discourse has always been... It's, it's been harsh many, many times over different elections, provincially and federally, and the whole concept of global politics... But I do think that there's no denying the fact that it's been amplified to the nth degree with how we use social media on that front. What was the concept of sharing photos and thoughts and rallying solidarity around one issue or another has become the exact opposite. You know, for some it's an echo chamber. For others, it's just a want to t take exception to anything that's written by someone who doesn't agree with your politics. And it's not just saying I disagree and here's why. It's because it's just gone haywire. And the opinions are fine, but we've got to get back to a way to express the differences of opinions with just a little bit more tact and maturity. It's, it's really become lost. It is a very much an us versus them. We can vote for different parties, different people, support one policy or another, but when it all boils down to there is us and there is them and there will be no cohesion, no way to live together, no way to talk about the issues of the day without it being an absolute bloodbath, I'm not so, so sure why anyone thinks any of that is a good idea. Uh, final break of the morning. When we come back, hopefully you're in the queue. Don't go away. <laughs> Welcome back to the program. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, maybe just maybe, as opposed to, you know, calling me names in an email, which is fine, it's, it's juvenile as it is, and there's me calling names in retaliation. You know, the best option for these types of conversations is really just to pick up the phone. You know, it's much easier to make your point in the form of a conversation versus what is just email threads of, you know, disagreeing about an opinion, which well, I th I'm internally, eternally fascinated by this real, even slight differences of opinions on s different matters just makes someone, and in this case, I'm lost, right? And here's his retort. All I can say is, for those he died for, quoting Ron Pumphrey, of course, uh, one of the people that I have followed in, on this program, is uh, I'm simply lost because I'm not all in. It's, it's really quite something. Anyway, uh, through email and conversation with Dave Williams during the break, 
was the thoughts surrounding some of these random break-ins, home invasions, where people were seriously injured and sent to hospital, is, you know, of course, the only way to stop crime is before it starts, and that's, generally speaking, because of the presence of the police. Now, the thought behind maybe closed-circuit television cameras and more and more neighborhood watch, of course, if you're a potential criminal and you're navigating one neighborhood or another and you're casing the joint or you're scoping out the vehicles, Will the neighborhood watch sticker deter your behavior? Maybe. Will the presence of a camera and a little sign that says smile, you're on camera, will that turn you away? Possibly. But some people are hell-bent for leather, and if they're going to commit a crime, they're going to commit a crime. You know, the benefit of cameras generally is just so we can identify uh, and investigate, arrest, and punish. So what do we do, especially with things like these home invasions? Someone uh, sent an email along that tried to draw the analogy between the thought of bullying in school and dealing with these criminals who are invading your home. It must be terrifying. Even if you're a hard ticket and you're home, if someone pushes their way in through your front door, boy, oh boy, I mean, fear is a crippling emotion. So I don't know how much fight back people can expect under those circumstances. I mean, I'd like to think that if my family was under threat, I'd get, I'd do whatever I had to do to protect them. But of course, you got a couple in the fear, which is hard to relate to unless you've been in that uh, that circumstance. Let's go to one. Chris, you're on the air. Yes, Kelly. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. How you doing? Listen, I have a piece of paper in my hand from May 26, 2021, where it says the five richest women in the world are worth $288 billion. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if I'm allowed to say their names online, but I hope they're listening somewhere in the world because they need to send some of this money that they have to Canada so we can start a task force to stop the drugs, Penny, and to stop these invasions. I have a couple of people that I... I, I do some work for from time to time, and that's how old they are, 88 and 90. And it kills me just to know that this is going on this day and age. And Penny, many of the politicians call in today about this because we have to address this. I don't care. I'll, I'll volunteer as a ranger to go out in the nighttime and patrol the streets. If they want to call your show and get my number... I would be grateful to do it, Patty. So what about the the war on drugs? You know, it it always, the conversation is if there wasn't the access to drugs and maybe some of the crime would be down. But if if we look at what has happened over the course of history, the war on drugs has been a distinct and utter failure. It never worked. Disaster. It never worked at all. Like, not once, nope. not for one minute, not in one gang, not in one cartel, not for one drug user, for one corner pusher. It's just never, ever, ever, ever worked. It's cost North Americans trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars to fight crime, or to, pardon me, to fight the war on drugs. And what was the outcome? Nothing. Nothing happened. Well, it's getting way out of hand now, Patty. You yeah. know, when they go in and do that to 80 and 90-year-olds, and, like, if it was years ago, your line would be opening up, buddy, from people like myself that are not afraid to go out and fight. Because I guarantee you, like I said, if they set up a task force here and get some rangers go out in the nighttime to patrol the cities, like I said, that's what we got to do, and get rid of these drug dealers and get rid of... Get rid of these users one way or the other. We're going to have to put the users in a hospital and get them cleaned up. And then the drug dealers 
well, I don't know, we're going to have to sentence them to a lot longer sentences than what they're getting. Because, like I said, if this continues to go on, it's going to be a more chaos, Petty. It's pretty chaotic out there now, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, simply because of the time on the clock, you've had the last word here this morning, but I appreciate the call. Thank you. Take good care. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, we know. Well, anecdotally anyway, we're pretty sure that a lot of crime that we see has a direct relationship with addictions, drugs. So how you curb that is the billion-dollar question. But when we pretended that, you know, the war on drugs was going to cure all our societal evils, it just didn't work. If it did, then I'd be all in. I'd be all for it. Because public safety, of course, as a family man, why wouldn't that be near the very top of my list of concerns and worries? Especially when I hear uh, stories about random attacks in the city where I live, of course. All right, good show today, and we will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.